Hello and a very warm welcome to episode two of the Daytona Beach Sports Guys podcast. We are once again back in my living room <laughs> around the table and ready to talk about the best sports topics from the recent history. I am Michael Torello, back again with Mel Stack Jr. Mel, it's been a while, almost a month since we recorded our last show and things have happened. Yes. Michael, first and foremost, thank you again for having me on the show. It's an honor and it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk about a lot of sports. I mean, certainly a lot has happened in the past couple of weeks, whether it was with the advent of March Madness. Uh, my bracket was completely busted, so we'll get into those details a little bit later. A lot of really good UFC action with the heavyweight title bout with Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou that recently took place this past weekend. I mean, the the starting of MLB opening day being just yesterday. It was yesterday, I yeah, because we're recording this on April 2nd, 2021, for the record. And so I'm ready, willing, and able to, and excited to take this podcast in whatever direction we see fit. Yeah, so just a, a reminder quickly of, of how this works. Um, we are our two friends from Daytona Beach, Florida, and the idea behind this podcast was let's sit down and just record our normal conversations about sports in sort of a general overview of recent history because it's what we talk about most of the time. So let's get started with probably the biggest thing to happen in the last month, which March Madness is almost done. It was a crazy tournament. As you said, your bracket was busted. I think I did a little bit better this year. I finally beat my dad in March Madness for the first time in like five years he usually just comes out and slaughters me by picking random teams. <laughs> well, okay, how about we start with this? What are your four final four teams? And if you could just talk a little bit about how your bracket is going in general. Well, let me pull up my bracket then. But while I talk about that, I want to hit on probably the biggest thing. Oh, Roberts, man. The first 15 seed to make the Elite Eight since uh, Florida Gulf Coast in 2015. Yeah, I mean, hats off to Oral Roberts, personally speaking. They did a really good job of busting my bracket, so hats off to them for that one. And they managed to defeat University of Florida, which I'm a little sad about. That also led to the busting of my bracket, but, mm -hmm. I mean, I couldn't be happier for them. Yeah, so I had Ohio State in the Elite Eight. That killed that. <laughs> yeah, so my Final Four that I predicted was Baylor, which is the one team of mine that actually made it in. Illinois, which they lost in round two to Loyola Chicago. Come on. Again with this Loyola thing? Like, two times in a row? <laughs> and on the other side, I had Iowa coming out of the West. I was very wrong. They lost to Oregon in the second round. And then I believed in the power of the SEC. I picked Alabama to get through in the East, and probably the biggest shock of the tournament is UCLA. The 11 seed is sitting in that slot. They upset Michigan just a couple of days ago. The 11 seed UCLA, they're certainly, they were certainly a sleeper pick, but, I mean, if you think about it, UCLA, they do have a storied past historically with regard to the NCAA tournament. I believe they have one of the most uh, number of NCAA tournament um, championship victories, if I'm not mistaken. But to add to what you were saying, UCLA being an 11 seed, certainly a surprise there. Um, with regard to my bracket, my bracket is 
completely in shambles. I think every year, I don't know why I do this, but what I do is I tend to have a bias towards the teams that I'm favorable and partial to, such as the University of Texas. They were actually my champion, and they managed to go out in the first round to Abilene Christian. Abilene Christian. That was a big upset. I remember uh, texting back and forth with you during that game and then directly after that game. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. It was certainly a surprising victory, especially because, I mean, from my perspective, University of Texas, they, they opened up into the tournament being a three seed, a hot three seed, I might add, especially coming off of a Big 12 tournament victory. I just I thought that they had all of the momentum going into the NCAA tournament, but Unfortunately, if you can't win in March, that, that'll that destroy your season. And I think Texas basketball is a good example of what can happen if you don't capitalize when it matters. And then something immediately afterwards, the fallout from that game specifically, is that Shaka Smart, he's gone out of Texas. He's off to Marquette. He's off to Marquette. I think that's a good fit for him. Shaka Smart, he's a class act. He's a great coach. Unfortunately, I think he got unlucky at times. I believe Texas was... 0-3 in NCAA tournament games. I just I remember back when I was in college at the University of Texas and I was in Tallahassee watching that opening round game against University of Northern Iowa and then losing eventually on a half-court buzzer beater shot. That was not a great way to start off Shaka Smart's tenure. And unfortunately, if you can't win in March, I mean, being a, being the coach of the University of Texas, it's, a, it's one of the toughest jobs to have, whether it's in football or basketball. And I think that it was best for both sides for him to, to part ways with the organization. And we're certainly looking forward to the new Texas Tech coach coming in. Yeah, and Chris Beard. I actually don't know a lot about Chris Beard as a coach. So I believe they made a deep run. Mm-hmm. Didn't they make the Final Four two or three years ago? Yeah, they, they've had some good success, mostly in the NIT. And then, of course, yeah, a Final Four in a couple of years ago. So Texas, this past season in basketball, 19-8 and eight record. First Big 12 tournament trophy in school history, and yet one loss to a lower division opponent. Well, it's not a lower division one. Everybody's division one, but a, a group of five opponent. And there it is. It's over. That's why we call it March Madness, my friends. Mm-hmm. So. And I mean, as a, someone who went to – this is sort of pivoting towards football a little bit, but as someone who went to an FCS school – for football, and Abilene Christian is an FCS school for football, and it's good to see them. <laughs> good to see uh, the little school, the little guys. Um, but UCLA kind of had a layup then against Abilene Christian in the second round. I was actually really looking forward to a potential UCLA-Texas sort of football-basketball rivalry yes, that they've got yes. going on there, and then Texas didn't come through. Other shockers, I mean, should it really be a shocker that Loyola-Chicago was good? I think statistically Loyola Chicago, they they came into the tournament being one of the best, um, statistically speaking, teams in the tournament. And I actually, I was talking to one of my friends who's actually from Chicago, and I remember he told me that's one of the games to look out for, Loyola Chicago over Illinois, believe it or not. But yeah, I mean, they were certainly one of the sleeper picks, and they certainly demonstrated that by taking out the number one seed mm-hmm. in the, the Fighting Illini. So I want you to go back and look at your bracket. And tell me one team that did good for you. I'm going to tell you, uh, here's a team that did good for me. Syracuse. I picked Syracuse as an 11 seed to get to the Elite Eight against Houston, and they did. In fact, that entire 
quadrant of the bracket that included San Diego State, Syracuse, West Virginia, Moorhead State, Clemson, Rutgers, Houston, and Cleveland State, I only got one game wrong in that entire quadrant, and that was Rutgers upsetting Clemson. Yeah, for me, I mean, probably a pretty common pick for most people. The team that did the best for me, besides Gonzaga, I think most people... In fact, picked Gonzaga to win their entire tournament. I mean, Gonzaga being... Not, not me. I picked Gonzaga to go out in the Elite Eight because, as I said, they had a history of underperforming in March. Didn't happen. <laughs> and that's a very fair point. It's just, it's hard to pick against a team that's completely undefeated and a team that just wipes the floor mm-hmm. with other teams. But I totally hear you out with that one. But um, I picked Baylor to go to the Elite Eight to eventually lose to... The Florida Gators, we all know what happened to them as well. Hey, they I, won one game, which is better than they usually get in the past couple of years. Just I'll, I'll read off my Final Four, and you'll probably laugh, but my Final Four includes Gonzaga, Texas, Florida, and Illinois. So I'm sure you can imagine my bracket was destroyed within <laughs> the first weekend of March Madness. I'm really looking forward to next year so I can <laughs> – Certainly do much better. I mean, I was I was proud of myself at the beginning. My bracket was in the 99th percentile. I did really well in terms of picking those opening round games. For example, I picked that UCLA upset over BYU and a few others. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it really comes down to who makes it to those final round games. And I did not add up to that. I All did right. not measure up. Time to predict. The final four is coming up this weekend. We've got Gonzaga, UCLA, and then Baylor against Houston. I want your pick for each game and who your national champion is. And this is regardless of who you've picked, by the way. This is just who you think is going to win those three games. I think that between Gonzaga and UCLA, I think at the beginning, in the first half, I think UCLA will give them a fight, certainly. But I think Gonzaga will pull away in the second half and establish themselves as the truly like better, more dominant team. I expect Gonzaga to make it to the national championship. Match number two, it's really interesting because the winner of this game, I mean, it's nice to think that, a, I guess, a Texas-based team, even though it's not my beloved Longhorns, will be in the national championship game. I think this game is a little bit more of a toss-up. I think I hate to pick the one seed again, but I'm going to go with Baylor. They've really been a dominant team down the stretch. I think they're a little bit better than Houston. I expect Baylor to defeat Houston, basically leading to a – one against one matchup with Gonzaga against Baylor. I'm going to go Gonzaga. I'm I'm hot I'm really high on Gonzaga. I think that this is their year. I know um you mentioned earlier Michael that historically they haven't done as well in March, but I think it's now or never for them. I think this is the year for Gonzaga to take it all. I agree with you on the first game that I think Gonzaga beats UCLA. I think the Cinderella run ends here. Um, and then I think also think Baylor beats Houston, uh, but I, I think that game is not going to be as close as some people think it might be, because I think Baylor's big men are just are too good and they'll run away with it. And then I've got Baylor over Gonzaga in the championship yeah. game for the same reason. I think Baylor is better underneath the basket. They're going to force Gonzaga out wide, and their three point shooting is going to fail them, and Baylor's going to take on the trophy. So that is the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Man, it's been a fun one to watch this, <laughs> this year. Let's pivot now to our second topic, which was, oh man, that UFC heavyweight championship fight. It was certainly, I, 
in the very short tenure that I've followed the UFC, I've tried to follow most of the pay-per-view events. I watched the rerun, and that was probably one of the most epic fights I've ever seen. It was a very one-sided fight, um, unfortunately. Um, I always, from a neutral perspective, I always hope for a good fight, but I think Francis Ngannou really cleaned up, and he was very decisive and clinical in his victory with that knockout in the second round over Miocic. Mm -hmm. So, Ngannou... In the first fight with Miocic, struggled to defend the takedown. In this fight, he got a one great takedown defense near the end of the first round. Start of the second round, came in and got the knockout. That was the key moment in that match. I think, looking ahead towards the future, Francis Ngannou has the pedigree to reign over this heavyweight division for a long, long time. Now, there is John Jones lurking in the shadows and then also, um, I don't have the rankings up right in front of me. Derek Lewis yeah, is Derek the other Lewis, guy. Yeah, Derek Lewis, that's the one I was, I was thinking of. I think the next title match will be either with Derek Lewis or John Jones, depending on how these negotiations play out with John Jones. I know John Jones was, excuse me, John Jones was very active on Twitter saying, show me the money after that particular fight. And so I'm curious to see... From my recollection, John Jones, he's gained a lot of weight. He moved up to the heavyweight division, and I think he's coming in at around 245, so a little bit heavier than Miocic. I knew when I saw those two, um, when you compare Francis Ngannou's weight at 264 to Miocic's, I believe it was 238. I mean, and he, Ngannou also had a reach on Miocic. I knew it wasn't stylistically a great matchup um, for Miocic, but I do think that John Jones could provide a little bit of trouble for Francis Ngannou, whether it's through using um, his leg kicks to try and chop him down at the beginning, but whether it's with Derek Lewis or whether it's with John Jones, I I expect the heavyweight division to be one up for grabs. We'll see. Yeah, that's going to be later this year. I think we're going to get one of those two fights, and it's going to be great. Let's look back a little bit because bef when we recorded our last podcast, it was right before the big super fight, Adesanya and Blahovic for the light heavyweight title. We both picked Adesanya, and we were both wrong. And we were both wrong. I mean, the Polish power came through in that respective matchup. I think stylistically, Adesanya had the advantage being more of a technical fighter, but, I mean, when you get thrown onto the ground in the manner that Adesanya was thrown onto the ground, sometimes, I mean sometimes power prevails over technique. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's an example as to what can happen. And I got to give Adesanya a lot of credit. He was very humble at the end, and he said the, f the better fighter won. And I, I expect Adesanya to bounce back from this. I expect him to stay in the division and possibly take on someone else. I mean, in the previous podcast, we talked about how Adesanya has pretty much cleaned out the division at the uh, his middleweight division, yeah. I believe. Um, I know that, Robert Whitaker is actually fighting, I believe it's Paulo Costa. Is that the mm -hmm. matchup coming yeah, up? Yeah, that's the matchup That'll be up. another really interesting matchup to see how that one plays out as well. And that's number one versus number two in middleweight. But again, those are two people that Adesanya has already beaten. And Jared Cannonier is should be the next man up for Adesanya, but he lost his last fight to Robert Whitaker. So middleweight is a very interesting beast. I am almost inclined to agree with you that he will stay at light heavyweight, but I, I think he likes the championship too much 
to remain away from middleweight for too long. I think he'll be back down there defending that possibly this year, maybe early next year. So coming up is a UFC event. It is their first event in the United States with fans. It's going to be UFC 261. It's Usman versus Masvidal rematching for that uh, the welterweight, welterweight title. title. As I adjust my notes here. Um, but more importantly than the fight, because I think that it's going to go very similarly to the way the first fight went, which with Usman getting the win, I, th- I don't think Masvidal has much for him. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, personally, I mean, especially because Masvidal is from our state of Florida, I tend to be more of a fan of Jorge Masvidal. But at the end of the day, if I did have to pick between both fighters, Usman, I think, has been so dominant and so clinical in the way that he's been able to take out opponents and pick them apart, whether it was the Colby Covington fight um, about a year ago, that five-round bout. I mean, Covington, I think that would actually, not to pivot here, I think that would actually be a really interesting rematch if Usman and Covington were to run it back. But I do expect Usman to continue to take care of business. I actually think he's one of the most disrespected fighters in the UFC. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's about to, I think, didn't he tie um, George St. Pierre for most title victories or something like that? I'm not sure. Um, but I, you're probably right, but I'm not Us- sure. Usman, he definitely doesn't have the most interesting style in which he fights, but I mean, he really does a good job of hammering away at people's legs. Um, he's really good at takedown defenses. He's just, and he's also, he has good hands. I mean, with Usman, he's a very well-balanced fighter. And I mean, I expect him to take care of business. We'll see if Jorge Masvidal can pose a challenge for him. I'm not sure. I mean, they did. They did fight, but, I mean, Masvidal, he showed up for that fight on, what was it, a seven-day notice mm-hmm. or something and flew out to Abu Dhabi, and he had to cut weight. And, obviously, Masvidal is probably going to use that as an excuse, but I'm really curious to see, with a full fighting camp and a full training camp, I wonder what Jorge Masvidal will do to better prepare so for the that record, matchup. So the record that Usman has is most consecutive wins in the welterweight division. Okay. And that's 13. I appreciate the clarification on that one. But there's a certainly there's certainly a lot of really exciting UFC fights coming up. There's also the recently released Nate Diaz, the seasoned veteran, going up against Leon Edwards. Mm-hmm. That's another really great matchup that I think could go either way. It really just depends on um, where Nate Diaz's fitness levels are at. And, I mean, it's been quite some time since he fought last. I think his last fight was against... Uh, Jorge Masvidal for the BMF title Mm -hmm. just a few years ago. So that fight, I don't have a lot to say on it because it's it's a little ways away, and I don't really know much about Diaz because he was around before we started Mm -hmm. really following the UFC. So I don't have a lot to say on that from a historical perspective. What I want to talk about next is not the actual bounce, but sort of the controversy surrounding the event itself, UFC 261 Mm -hmm. in Jacksonville, because it's going to have a full house the first time on American soil that there have been fans in attendance for a UFC event. Yes, there were like some celebrities in attendance for UFC 260, but I I don't count that because it wasn't like Mm -hmm. we were, I could have, if I wanted to go online and buy tickets for this event. I didn't, but I could have, Mm -hmm. um, 
so I don't really know how to start this discussion, but should the UFC have gone on a different route to have fans back in the arenas other than just saying, hey, let's open the doors? It's a tricky question, Michael. I think the answer to this question, I would be really interested to see what the UFC, in terms of PR, what are they going to release in terms of what are they going to do to reassure people about the safety and everything, whether it's, I know earlier before we got on air, we talked about another team talking about how they offered three different options to try and um, ensure safety standards to the best of their ability, whether that was offering um, or mandating a 72-hour PCR negative COVID test or whether that means um, having proper vaccination documentation. And what was the third option? Oh, it was, um, what did you, you covered vaccination and then the 72-hour so, negative PCR test. COVID test. And then there was a third option that I don't remember off the top of my it head. It was uh, something specific to the state of New York. Uh, some sort of pass from the state of New York. Okay. I see. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think the the UFC should proceed with a little bit of caution here. I wish I was more of a health expert to speak on this particular situation. But I, I hope that, I mean, they're going to proceed with this event. Um, whether we like it or not. And I just, I hope that it's carried out in the safest way possible, of course. Um, and I, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about it as well. I wish I could give you a better answer on that one. So the UFC did not reply when asked about a safety plan. Okay. This was a dude okay. article published on SB Nation uh, last week. Mm-hmm. Um. What there will be on the ticket, when you signed up to buy a ticket, you had to basically sign a waiver. So that waiver probably, if, I mean, this this is just going off of a hunch, it probably absolves the UFC of liability Mm -hmm. if you sign. So kind of going at your own risk. And so I, I understand both sides to the coin there, but I just, I hope that, I hope that it doesn't become a super spreader event for mm-hmm. COVID. Oh, it's interesting because in Daytona Beach, where we are, last weekend, or maybe it was two weekends ago, was our yearly motorcycle festival, which last year didn't really happen because of COVID. It was right at the beginning of lockdown. Mm-hmm. This year... There, it, it almost felt like a normal year for the motorcycle festival. There was a lot of people out there. Like yeah, it, I mean, there are a ton of people out there. It almost seemed like it was the most people in quite some time that came down from... I know a lot of the people who do come down for Bike Week traditionally come from the Midwest and other areas, but yeah, it was that. It, it, I don't really have a whole lot else to say about it other than it seemed like it was a huge turnout. And, mm-hmm. and what I don't know is what the, you know, virus spread from that event was, Mm -hmm. you know. But it almost seems to me like it's a similar idea with this UFC event. Mm -hmm. Because it's almost worse because it's an indoor event. People are going to be packed tightly together. Mm -hmm. I went to, and this is kind of a non sequitur, but I I Mm -hmm. swear it, it makes sense. Last weekend, I went to my first sporting event as a fan 
in over a year. Uh-huh. I went to the College Basketball Invitational, which was being held here in Daytona. Uh, you weren't available to go, unfortunately. But that was, I feel, the correct way to run an event right now and for the foreseeable future. Hopefully, maybe by this fall, things will have cleared up a little bit. And what comes to mind specifically? So, um, there were very few tickets available. Um, there were only certain seats that you could sit in in the venue. Most of the seats, it was, a, I think, 30% capacity. Most of the seats had been covered by either trash bags or cloth or whatever, and you couldn't, you couldn't sit there. Um, face masks required. There were people... There were people working the venue. We were going around reminding people, you know, keep your face masks on, mm-hmm. keep keep mm-hmm. your distance, and everything like that. And and we were very well separated from the court and from the officials and people working the game. We're usually at the Ocean Center where the venue was. You're right on top of the court. They only open the upper level. Okay. So you were you were far away from everybody. You were far away from the court and the players. And I think that is the correct way to run an event. Yeah, the definitely. way the UFC is doing it, I do not think it is the correct way to run an event. Mm-hmm. But they've looked at their clientele, the people who will be buying the tickets. They've looked at, you know, the floor regulations which allow them to do this, mm-hmm. and they said, "Hey, let's go, let's do it." And from a business perspective, it's money in the bank. Yeah, you know? and it's yeah. the first time in over a year that they've had a live event and in the U.S. And it's that constant balancing act of the economic angle versus the public health angle and trying to reconcile both of those. And it's, it's really interesting to see how varying organizations take differing approaches to this. And I guess um, we don't have all the data in front of us and we won't have that data in front of us, but it'll be interesting to see um, how these events play out in terms of um, the health outcomes, whether it's um, possibly spreading more um, uh, COVID-19 but on the other hand, um, something that is optimistic is the fact that we, before we got on air, we talked about the um, greater availability of COVID-19 vaccinations and the expansion of that, too. And so I'm, I'm optimistic and hopeful that um, as we continue through this pandemic, we'll find a way to continue to, especially in a safe way, um, continue to welcome fans back into the Sports atmosphere. Yeah, especially. I'm looking forward to getting back to Orlando City soccer games yes, this year. Definitely. Something I definitely missed last year, and uh, hopefully this summer we can go out and catch a few of those. Yeah, I mean, the MLS season is coming up here in just a few weeks, and I know we, we harped on the MLS a lot in the last episode, so I feel like we probably won't touch upon it too much this episode. But to add to what you're saying, I'm super excited um, with the advent of Austin FC, um, Inter Miami, and Orlando City. Those are kind of the three teams that I'm trying to follow with the with regard to the MLS especially. Mm-hmm. So I was listening to the radio on the way home. We just went and had lunch. So on the way home, I was listening to the radio, and they were talking about Daryl DK. Yes. And how he has now been linked with both Everton and Manchester United from Barnsley, where he currently is on loan. The I think it was Jason Davis on ESPN FCs who I was listening to said, 80-20 chance he's back in Orlando. And I was surprised by that. I thought that Orlando, with the offers that they're getting for DK from big clubs, wouldn't they, they just go ahead and pull the trigger and look at finding somebody else up front? I mean, they've already brought in uh, Brazilian legend Pato. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe what Orlando City is doing is they're just going to evaluate the Pato situation. I know Nani has been with the club for a while now. I believe he plays on the wing, right? Mm-hmm. He's a winger for Orlando City. It'll be really interesting to see what Orlando City does um, over the long term. I, From their perspective, I'm just speculating. This is sheer speculation here. I'm sure they're going to wait and see how things play out before they make any sort of concrete decisions about DK. But, I mean, from my understanding, it seemed like he, he meshed really well with Orlando City. And I think that there's something – there's a lot to say about getting playing time and going to a club that maybe is a good fit rather than the name brand school – or not school, excuse me, um, team such as Manchester United or you said Everton mm-hmm. as well. And I mean, I, you're more of the English Premier League expert, so I think you'd be able to speak a little bit more about this. Yeah, I think if if he goes this summer and basically signs immediately with an Everton or Manchester United or some other team like that, one, he's going to have the summer off, so he will not have played a lot of meaningful games at Barnsley, and then the last meaningful stretch of games he would have played in is last summer in the MLS season. So what I think is best for DK, and this is kind of selfish because I want to see him play for Orlando City, at least for this season, of course, of course. is to come back, play a little bit in the summer in Orlando, and maybe halfway through the season in the summer transfer window, try and find his way to a European team and, and play the fall season. But as I said, he's, he's an up-and-coming talent, not just with Orlando City, but with the U.S. national team as well. There's been a lot of disappointment around these parts with the U.S. national team for the last couple of days with them missing the Olympics for the third straight time in the loss to Honduras. Cringe. Yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's man, hopefully we can make the World Cup in 22. But, but um, final thoughts about the DK situation. Regardless of what happens, I'm super happy for him, and it's really cool to see players like DK emerge from the MLS and to even in just a year be in the conversation with the likes of Everton or mm-hmm. Manchester United. It's it's really cool to see how these major European leagues interact with the talent that's overseas in North America in the MLS. And I think this is all promising for um, overall brand awareness and positive growth yeah. for the MLS. And I'm thinking of guys like Brendan Aronson in Philadelphia as well, who's recently gone over to Europe. And, and in a broader sense, people like Weston McKitty and John Brooks and people like that who maybe went to Europe a little bit earlier in their careers, but still where their formative development years were here in, in the United States. So we'll, we'll, something I want to discuss maybe in a later episode is – the whole U.S. men's national team situation yes. and, you know, the players involved and who our best roster is. and But that's going to take some some research and to, to get down to the nitty-gritty of that. So let's stay on soccer a little bit and talk about Champions League. We've got Final Eight coming up. First legs, is it next week? Yes, I believe the first leg matchups start on Tuesday of next week. I'm going to pull those up right now so I can take a look. Uh, we've got the matchups are Real Madrid versus Liverpool, Manchester City versus Dortmund, Porto versus Chelsea, Manchester uh, Bayern Munich versus PSG, and Chelsea versus Porto. Well, first initial thoughts. This is one thing we talked about a little bit before the episode began. Let's focus in on that initially, that Real Madrid against Liverpool matchup. So I mentioned to you, international duty took place 
I believe it was this past week, and mm-hmm. Sergio Ramos, the Spanish international player who most people in the soccer community know about, he actually came up with a calf injury. And so this is this has huge implications for not only the Champions League, where Ramos is predicted to miss both matchups against Liverpool. He's also projected to miss the El, the upcoming El Clasico matchup against FC Barcelona. Let's talk a little bit about that and how do you think that that'll affect this upcoming Champions League matchup against Liverpool? Oh, man. Um, I think Liverpool is playing with nothing to lose, basically, because they can't win the Premier League. Manchester City is running away with the Premier League. Liverpool had a big spiggle stumble in January and February, which basically dropped them out of the Premier League race. So they're, all their eggs are on the Champions League. They're certainly going to have nothing to lose in this situation. They'll probably come out guns blazing. I mean, at least historically, on the other hand, with Real Madrid, it seems like when Ramos is in the lineup, they tend to do well. And when he's not, Real Madrid tend not to do as well. I remember just a few years ago when Real Madrid played the likes of Ajax and I believe Ramos, it was either from a yellow card suspension or a straight red. He did not participate in that matchup against Ajax, and it led to their demise. And I I do think that Ramos's absence could negatively impact Real Madrid down the stretch. Yeah, and especially because I think this particular tie over two legs is going to be a sprint. There's going to be goals, goals, goals in this one because you've got Salah and Coutinho on one side, Trent Alexander-Arnold as well, who's a great assister on the wing. And then for Real Madrid, you know, you've got Eden Hazard, Karim Benzema. You know, these guys can score. Tony Cruz, yeah. they can score in bunches. So I think this could be up in the four, five, six goals over two legs range for one of these teams. And having a defender out like that, in a moment that may cost you a goal or two that may decide the match, that's a big, big blow for Sergio Ramos to be out of this one. Yes, definitely. All right, second matchup, we've got Porto and Chelsea. Porto just got finished with knocking out uh, your beloved Juventus. Yes, that is correct. And we just learned three days ago that this will be a neutral site game because of COVID regulations. Do you know where they plan on playing these matches? Uh, they're going to be in Seville. Okay, at, in Spain. Yeah. Let's see. Is it going to be... I'm, I'm looking to see if it's going to be both legs or just one. I yes, probably both, both, both yeah. legs will be in Seville. So... Even though there would be no fans at either venue anyway, this is interesting because I counted out Porto against Juventus and they came through. I am once again <laughs> counting out um, Porto against Chelsea. Do they get another upset? I think it really depends on how Porto's back line matches up against the likes of Kai Havertz on Chelsea and Timo Werner, right? Mm-hmm. On Chelsea as well. I mean, Chelsea, they've got a really stacked lineup, especially up front. It'll, I'll be interested to see how the veteran leadership of Pepe in the back line for Porto can manage that situation with such talented strikers and wingers mm-hmm. up front for Chelsea. Yeah, and 
I must say, even though it's kind of painful, as a neutral, that series against Juventus was so fun to watch as a neutral fan. Just back and forth and extra yes. time. And, man, mm-hmm. we it thought was. it was going to go to penalties, but then Porto scored at the last second. It was a great series to it, watch. It but, was a great um, matchup. Unfortunately, I didn't get the outcome that I wanted being a Juventus fan, but hats off to Porto. They made it to the next round. And Juve, Juve I mean, it's going to be an off year. Probably won't win Serie A this year. And we'll just have to regroup mm-hmm. and move forward from there. But um, to stay on the topic of Champions League, um, another matchup that – I think we should talk about um, Bayern PSG. I think that's a trap matchup, possibly for Bayern. What are your thoughts on that one? Yep, this is, if I remember correctly, this is a rematch of last year's final, which was played in the fall. So weird. Last yeah, such year a was weird so timeline. weird. Yeah, champion. <laughs> yeah, the Champions League final, and then just a few weeks later, you had the beginning of the season. Yeah. And then you had the the Super Copa, I mm-hmm. believe, is. That's the winner of the Champions League, League against the, the winner of Europa League, Europa League yeah. against uh, Sevilla, I mm-hmm. believe it was. But I think that there's so much talent on both sides. I mean, Bayern, historically, they've kind of operated like a machine. They're very methodical, and they, they're very, um, they like to implement a lot of uh, aggressive play down the stretch going against the likes of Neymar, who, I mean, he's very, sty- he's very stylish as a player. He... I think he could be the X factor in that game mm-hmm. if he's healthy. So we've got a pair of big misses, one for each team. Robert Lewandowski out with an injury for Bayern. And for PSG, Marco Verratti out with COVID. So both sides missing a key player up front. I think this could be oddly a defensive contest. With yeah, how much, with Just from watching their final... Last summer, it was just a 1-0 to Bayern. It was kind of a slow game. I I think that's we could kind of get that again here. Yes. Maybe one team wins one goal, maybe two goals in it. I think Bayern gets through again. I just think they've got too much talent. I think Bayern is certainly the safe pick, and if I had to pick today, I'd probably side with you on this one and go with Bayern. But at the same time, I would not be surprised if – PSG pulls off somewhat of a low-scoring affair upset after both legs. We'll see how mm-hmm. that injury progresses with uh, Lewandowski. And you mentioned that Verratti, is he going to be out for both legs? Uh, it did not say in the article that I looked at. Mm-hmm. It just said out for Champions League match. So I, I don't know if that's one or two legs. That'll certainly be a matchup to hone in on. Mm-hmm. Moving into next week, that matchup is actually on my birthday of next week, oh, Wednesday, wow. April 7th. So I'm going to be very excited to watch some good Champions League, and we'll certainly have to get together for that one, depending on your availability. We'll talk a little bit more yeah, yeah. about that. But. So last quarterfinal, Man City-Dortmund. Can anybody stop the rampage that Manchester City is going on, and can it be Borussia Dortmund? Yes and no. I really think it's going to come down to – I mean – Historically, Man City, they've done such a good job with the English Premier League, and we talked a little bit earlier about how they're running away with the league this year. However, they've historically not done as well in the knockout stages of the Champions League, and I'll be fascinated to see how Holland on Dortmund being pursued by so many clubs. Mm -hmm. That will be the X factor, I think, in this particular matchup and see if he can make an impact on the game early down the stretch. So no... Jaden Sancho 
for Dortmund, and that's huge for Borussia. Uh, unable to, for the first leg, questionable for the second leg. He's been out for about a month with a calf injury. But that's that's big if he can't get there. And I want to pivot, because that's the last matchup we're talking about. I want to pivot to Erling Holland because he is the darling of the transfer market right now. His contract with Dortmund is up this summer. His agent and his father were in uh, Barcelona mm-hmm. last week talking with FC Barcelona. They were in England just yesterday talking to Manchester City. And also Madrid. Um, and Real Madrid. So who who is going to get him, A, and how much money will they have to fork up for this start? Even in the COVID pandemic, even in the era of the COVID pandemic and lower transfer fees, I mean, if I'm Holland, I I would expect this transfer to be at least a hundred million for sure. Just given his age and his promise, I I would expect it to be over a hundred million pounds or euros mm-hmm. or whichever currency we're gonna use here. But I, it seems unlikely that Dortmund will be able to hold on to him. Most likely, I. I think your guess is as good as mine in this situation. I have absolutely no idea where he's going to go. But, I mean, the two main clubs that can really afford him with that kind of money is Manchester City and PSG. We'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, obviously, FC Barcelona and Real Madrid, you can't rule out those clubs either. So, it's – I mean, it's probably going to be one of those four that we Mm -hmm. just mentioned. Well, it'll be really interesting to see what happens moving forward here. So, I don't think – you're right. I think those are the the four clubs. But I think it's got to be Man City in the lead because I think – I don't remember if we talked about this on the last podcast or maybe just talked about it just in passing, that they made a bid for Messi when his contract was up before he signed with Madrid, uh, Barcelona Excuse me again. They are not afraid to go after big names and to flash the cash for big names and – there have been rumors that Sergio Aguero is going to be moving on from Manchester City. Holland plays a similar role and could be the striker of the future replacing Aguero for the citizens, which as a Manchester United fan, I mean, oh, I, would, I would just roll my eyes. I mean, like, come on. We had to deal with Aguero for 10 years, and now we've got this new guy who's going to be there for a while. <laughs> well, Holland offers it. He's so athletic, and he also has the size, too. That's a That's a huge implication for I think a lot of strike a lot of clubs will be looking for that guy who offers the speed the versatility with his size his ability to head the ball well I mean he really offers the complete package for any team and I mean you can speak more on the tactical analysis with Manchester City as I don't really watch them too much but I mean he could be that guy to fulfill Aguero's um, space when he decides to move on Mm mm-hmm just thinking of how much I would love to see Erling Holland at Manchester United. It's probably not going to happen because they have an abundance of strikers, but mm-hmm. man, that would be, that would be something else. Icing on the cake. All right. So I wanted to ask you next, just a sort of general question. What are you looking forward to watching coming up in the next couple of months? This is not just, we've talked about like UFC 261 and the final four and just things in an immediate, immediate vicinity, but in the month of April, May, June, heading into the summer, what do you have your eye on? And this can be a, a broad, as broad as you an answer as you want to make it. To answer your question, 
I'm going to say the Olympics in Tokyo. I know that they recently released a statement saying that fans from outside of the country will not be allowed, but nonetheless, I'm still I, growing up watching the Olympics and especially watching the summer Olympics growing up in the state of Florida. I, I always really enjoyed watching the swimming, the track and field. I believe, are they, I think they're bringing in surfing now. Surfing to the and sport climbing. There are five new sports, surfing, sport climbing, skateboarding, uh, karate, which it makes sense, and then baseball is coming. Baseball and softball are coming back. Uh, they were have been out since I think the China Olympic, or Beijing Olympics. So, yeah, so I I agree with you. The Olympics is always one of the highlights of my sporting every every four years or I guess two years with the Winter Olympics. I mean, and for me, it doesn't really matter to me that they're not having fans from all around the world because I wasn't going to go anyway. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you and me both. Um, that was just one point I wanted to add. I'm especially interested in watching the walking marathon event. Oh, the, uh, the race walking. The race, race, walking, walking. Is, race walking is an interesting beast. Don't knock it till you watch it. That's all I'm going <laughs> to say. It's, it's quite the scene. Yeah, so the Olympics definitely. For me, I mean, it's, it's baseball season. I love Major League Baseball, so and for me, it's more so I listen to the radio, and basically every day I have baseball on on the radio, so that's it's the soundtrack of my summer, so I'm super excited for that. Also, we've got both NBA and NHL playoffs coming up. Both of those leagues are entering the latter part of their seasons, and what did the tables look like in the NBA specifically? So let's look up the NBA standings. We didn't really anticipate going here, but let's talk about it. While we're here, in the East, the Brooklyn Nets, who are an interesting case study of, they're they're kind of doing the Manchester City thing, which is let's buy everybody and see what sticks to the wall. Yes, what kind of super team can we form to eventually challenge LeBron and mm-hmm. the Lakers over in the Western Conference? Because that that team is so stacked: Kyrie Irving, KD, James Harden, James now. Harden. Yesterday was April Fool's Day, and I, I got to tell you, I almost got fooled because they put out a post that said uh, Vince Carter is coming back and signing with the Nets. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'd love to see that. That would be awesome. At, what is he, 40-something years old now? Something like that. I mean, <laughs> local legend. Grew up in the Daytona Beach area. I mean, it was so awesome to see him and his career develop mm-hmm. over that very long span but, that he did play in the league. But even the even the bench players for the Nets, like they got Blake Griffin coming off the bench. They've got DeAndre Jordan coming off the bench. Like, come on, any other team in the league, those guys are starters. Yeah. And getting, you know, major minutes. I think the major factors to pay attention to, can they manage to keep everybody healthy moving down the stretch into the playoffs? Can they divide the playing time up enough to make sure that their legs don't get too burned out moving into the more important playoff matches such as the Eastern Conference Finals eventually. And it'll be interesting on the other hand in the Western Conference to see how the Lakers manage LeBron's minutes moving down the stretch as well. I believe, what is he, 35, 36 years old now? Mm -hmm. And he's still, I mean, LeBron's still killing it. He's got the body of a 25-year-old and still throwing it down, dunking, doing all kinds of amazing things for the Lakers as well. And so... Mm -hmm. I don't follow the NBA too much, so I can't speak on the NBA, NBA playoffs too much. But I would, if I were a betting man, it'll probably be the Nets and 
the Lakers. But you probably know these three words. Trust the process. The 76ers are in second place in the East. They finally put it all together. Who do they have on their roster they these days? Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Dwight Howard, Seth Curry, Tobias Harris. I feel like Dwight Howard always finds to manage, or he always manages to find a way to end up on these winning teams. I think he was on the Lakers team mm-hmm. last year, right? That yeah. ended up winning the playoffs. Really interesting career with Dwight Howard starting out in Orlando, and then he's kind of he's been mm-hmm. to a few different teams, but not to get too off topic there or anything. But, yeah, especially now that the playoffs are coming up here pretty soon, that's my cue to start tuning in. Yeah, so. yeah. But in the West, it's been an interesting season because the Lakers are in fourth place, and the teams with the three best records in the NBA are above them. The Jazz are number one, the Suns are number two, and the Clippers are number three. It's been a very interesting season, and the Jazz... With my sort of, I also don't really follow the NBA that closely, unless it's my teams, which is my team, which is the Heat. Um, the Jazz kind of came out of nowhere, but it, you know, with Luka Doncic, hey, it, anything is possible. Doesn't he play on the Mavericks? No, that's the sorry, that's the wrong team. Donovan Mitchell, yes, is yes. the main guy for the Jazz. I'm sorry, so how much I know about the the uh, <laughs> the Jazz. Actually, I was thinking of the guy in Denver. Um, Jokic with the yeah, Nuggets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, I, last time I checked, he pretty much leads the team in almost every statistical category. Yeah. Whether it's points, rebounds, mm-hmm. um, assists, all of those. So it's interesting that just sort of looking at the NBA as a whole, the whole super team concept seems to be picking up steam. Well, it started, at least in my eyes, back when LeBron and Dwayne Raid and Chris Bosh went to the Heat. And they always clashed with the Dirk Davitsky Mavericks. And that was sort of a one-man team. So you have the same sort of balance now where you have teams like the Nets, like the Lakers. But you also have sort of one-man teams like the Nuggets or like the Suns. I guess the Suns are a two-man team. They've got Chris Paul out there. And uh, they also have uh, Devin Booker. It's going to be interesting getting into the playoffs and seeing series against these teams. So can the teams that rely on one or two players beat the teams consistently with deeper rosters? And last year we saw that that's not really true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to, like I, we talked a little bit about managing minutes uh, earlier in this podcast, I also think it comes down to can teams peak at the right time. Although the Lakers, you said they're they're coming in at around the four seed, mm-hmm. I do I do think that the Lakers, when when it counts, when it matters, when they do make it to the playoffs, I expect them. They're the kind of team that I think will peak at the right time, and I don't think that their seed currently represents the true value that they can offer in the playoffs. But that's just my that's my opinion and. We'll see what happens here mm-hmm. moving into the next few weeks. Yeah. Well, it's it's LeBron James' world, and we're just living in it in the NBA. Yes. And until he decides to hang it up, it's going to be that way. It's he's, he's a Michael Jordan-esque player to where he could be probably 45 and still – he a Tom Brady-esque player. He could be 45 and still dominating. I'm just waiting for him and his son to play together. I That's going to happen at some point hey, probably. it might happen. We could have a Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey Jr. 
situation in the NBA. Yes, definitely. Something cool that actually happened in the NBA is all three Atetokounmpo brothers played together for the Bucks the other night. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't even realize his brothers were on the roster. Yeah, well, what? Uh, they played for the G League. I think Costas Atetokounmpo was also on the Bucks, And then the third brother, whose name escapes me, was on the G League team. Okay. okay. And he got called up. So they all Very three played cool. on the floor. And I think it was only the, the second time in history that three brothers played in the same NBA game together. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. I, and then the other brother situation we have in the NBA, we've got the Ball brothers as well. Yeah. Playing on different respective teams, I believe. Um, when Mellow Ball plays on the Hornets, Charlotte mm-hmm. Hornets. And then I'm not sure where Alonzo Ball is these days. He was on the Pelicans, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, he's on the Pelicans. Along with um, Zion Williamson, who I honestly think will leave the Pelicans at some point when that initial contract from the draft is up. He will either he'll he will say to the Pelicans organization, say, Hey, get me people in here so we can win or I'm going somewhere else. Yeah. I, I expect him to end up in a big market like a New York or a Los Angeles or Chicago very shortly. Being a being a Miami Heat fan, Michael, what are your thoughts on the Heat moving into the playoffs? Are they even in a playoff spot? Well, they're in third right now. Third, okay. So. Um, the East is very close, unlike the West. The West is like has a couple of big, big teams, and then it drops off really hard towards the bottom. The East is kind of close because the Heat are actually in fifth. They're nine games out of first place because the Nets and the 76ers and the Bucks are all just sort of jostling for first, and everybody else is nine games plus back. So right now, they could, by the end of the season, probably get as high as third or as low as eighth. That's yep. how close it yep. is because the eighth, eighth place team, which is Boston, is only a game and a half behind them. Hmm. So, it, yeah. It's very close. So I'm, I'm hoping they do well. The Heat just made some some trades at the deadline. They brought in Victor Oladipo, who I really like. Um, but they also, they let go of one of my favorite players, Kelly Olynyk. Um, so it's, it's in and out. But they've still got, you know, Duncan Robinson. They've still got Tyler Harrow. They've still got Big Bam Adebayo. It, they're a good team. They made the finals last year, and I'm hoping for a similar run this year. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean... That would be really interesting to see. All right. And the NHL, I don't think any of us really follow that closely. Um, I wish I could offer yeah. any sort of analysis on the <laughs> NHL, but I watch I just it cannot. sometimes, but I'm not that in, in tune. I watch the playoffs of the NHL. It's, in my opinion, it's the most exciting playoffs of the four major sports in North America. I love the NHL playoffs. But the regular season... I, I don't care much about it. And also, the, the team I cheer for, the Rangers, is not doing that well. So How are the Blackhawks doing these days? I, I will check, because I don't know. I mean, the city of Tampa with the Tampa Bay Lightning, I mean, they've been, they've been blessed to have such a great team over the past five years or so. Mm-hmm. The Tampa well, the Bay Lightning, Lightning really The Lightning well. are in first place in their division. Funnily enough, the Florida Panthers are in second place. Who saw that coming? South Florida, let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, in the East, the Rangers, yeah, they're they're down. 
uh, they're down a lot to the Capitals, Islanders, and Penguins who are in, up at the top. Let's take a look at the North Division. That's all the Canadian teams. So this year, it's weird in the NHL because they, instead of having the divisions intermingle, you're only playing the seven other teams in your division. Mm-hmm. So... It's a definitely noticeable change there. Yeah. The Blackhawks somehow got put in a division with the Lightning, the Panthers, <laughs> the Hurricanes. That sounds the, like a very tough group. So they sure. are they are back in fifth. They're well back of Tampa and Florida. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't look like they're going to make the playoffs. I see. But, yeah, so the hockey, not really our thing except in the playoffs. We have almost hit an hour. We're about 55 minutes in. Do you want to take on another topic, or do you want to wrap this up, and, and we'll get back to it next time? I think I think this is a good um, stopping point for us. I think in the next episode, I'd love to talk more about, we talked a little bit about this off-air as well, the NCAA versus Alston class action lawsuit. The Supreme Court of the United States is actually in the process of overhearing a player name, image, likeness, and possibly um, compensation case and to see if the expansion of those rights violate federal antitrust law. Um, being, an incoming law being an incoming law school student, um, that these are the kinds of issues that I'm also really interested in, and I look forward to possibly getting back together with you, Michael, and talking a little bit more about how that will impact the NCAA collegiate landscape and just your hot takes on that, and so like, I definitely that. think that the model that the NCAA is, has been under is not sustainable, and I don't think it will sustain for much longer. That's all my thoughts on that. So hopefully we can get together sooner than a month. Yes, <laughs> we'll have to reconvene sure. probably next week because I believe they're going to come out with their ruling on Monday at nine thirty in the morning or something okay. like that. So I'll be so sure to follow we'll, we'll, up with you and keep you in touch on that. Yeah, we'll have to find time. We're both very busy next week. But we will maybe try and find some time to, to get together and record. Once again, I've been Michael Trabillo. And this is Melvin Stack. And thank you for listening to the Daytona Beach Sports Guys podcast. Goodbye.